So a mutual friend, Kevin Penry, said the statement because、um, I went to him. I was talking to him. I was like, Kevin, I don't know what to do. I need certainty. Again, I'm an ESTJ. Enneagram eight. God bless us all. Those, yeah, <laughs> who struggle with it. But I mean, life is just so much clearer when things are certain. When I know what to do. When I know what the next step is. And and he said, Alan, uncertainty is a gift. I was not really happy with that answer because I needed clarity. Like I thought, leaders were supposed to bring clarity. If there's an uncertain moment or a moment where people don't know what to do, as a leader, we step into that and and lead with courage and boldness. And this gift of uncertainty thing just does not fit into that definition of understanding of leadership. So, what's your take on this? <laughs> That look means, look at, say something, man. We won't look at so, each other. I will. I will make two comments on it, and then let Nance correct them.、Um, <laughs> our add to them. Oldest child was, had applied to college. Was trying to figure out where to go. She was like born forty years old, the most mature person in the family. But we were talking about it, and she was really、uh, anxious and upset. What if I don't get into the school I really want to get into? And I realized in that moment, if I could wave a wand so that you knew for sure where you're going, I would not do it.、Mm. Because if you are able to live with poise and empathy for other people in the midst of being uncertain about what you want, you will grow way more、yep. than if you had the luxury of certainty.、Mm-hmm. And I realized then、um, there is a gift of uncertainty or a strategic use of uncertainty in the formation of character.、Mm-hmm. People will grow more in uncertainty、Absolutely. than they will when they have certainty. It was very helpful for me because I'll often feel uncertain about、uh, stuff in faith that I wish I had certainty about.、Yeah. When I die, do I know for sure there's going to be heaven? It's all going to look like this. Like sometimes I'll have more, sometimes I'll have less.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and realizing there's a real good reason why God doesn't give us all a greater amount of certainty about、mm-hmm. things like spiritual reality. Or happen afterwards, and it has to do with the nature of growth.、Mm-hmm. Second observation: a woman named Eleanor Stump wrote this book, *Wandering in Darkness*, which has been very helpful for me. And she points out in the story of Abraham. Initially, God just says, "I'll make you a great nation, and you will be a patriarch." Doesn't give many details.、Mm-hmm. So Abraham ends up.、Um, Having a plan B takes Lot along with them, and then Plan C, he makes Eleazar his servant, and、uh, then Plan D, he has a child by Hagar, and then even after Isaac is finally born, when、mm-hmm. Isaac and his wife don't have any kids for twenty years, Abraham has another five children. It's not talked about very much,、yeah. and、uh, and it takes twenty five years. And God says, "Nope, it's not going to be Lot. Nope, it's it's not going to be、uh, your servant. It will be your own descendant." And then after Hagar, "Nope, Sarah's going to be the mom."、Yep. And so Eleanor says, "Why didn't God just initially、yes. tell Abraham it's going to take twenty four years?、Yep. It's going to be you, you know, biologically. It's going to be your wife Sarah." And she says, "It's because God knew that Abraham would grow more、uh, if he." Um, had to learn as things went along. Had uncertainty, made mistakes, discovered God was patient with them. God was the kind of person that still cared with them. He would learn much more through that than if he would have been given an unambiguous instruction in the beginning. She she uses this fancy word that you guys will make fun of me for: <laughs> disambiguation. The story of Abraham yeah, is a story、we'll、where God is taking taking away ambiguity. 
Um, Nance and I have a friend, he's an engineer, and he used to love this saying, ambiguity is not your friend. Mm. I profoundly disagree. I think ambiguity is indispensable to character formation. And that's probably particularly true for leaders. And leaders have to learn in the midst of ambiguity, not by forcing artificial certainty, but by acknowledging, embracing, and leaning into the reality of ambiguity. Really well said. Uh, I will tell people often when they want certainty, get a cat. (laughs) That's what you need in your life. Then a cat will provide that for you. But most of the rest of your life, as soon as you get certainty around one thing, there's something else. So it's like Mm whack-a-mole. You you can't, it's a precarious truce to have certainty in everything. And then you're just waiting for Mm -hmm. the uncertainty to pop up again. Mm -hmm. So the sooner we get used to it, the better. The growth that happens. How do I bring curiosity to uncertainty? And then how do I build a community of a team that says, well, I don't know. What do you think we should do? Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. What do you think we should do? And sit in the wisdom of the group to say, how will we move forward in uncertainty? Also to feel the pain of uncertainty, to just name it on the team. This is really hard. Mm -hmm. The uncertainty is getting bigger than we are comfortable with. Let's just acknowledge that. So you've mentioned this and feel free to share as much as you want to share. In the midst of uncertainty, our view of God is important. And I think you said something like, man, if, if someone treated me like how I felt God was treating me, can you I mean, talk a little bit about There are times when I think if somebody treated me the way I perceive God is treating me, I would call them a toxic person mm-hmm. and I would put boundaries around mm-hmm. it. That's at odds with the message that God is good and yes. that he's with me. Yeah. So one of those needs to win mm-hmm. and I have to fight my way from here to here mm-hmm. multiple times a day, yeah. many, many times. And even when I get here, I'm like, am I sure this is true? Mm -hmm. I I tell God all the time, um, if you want to know the reason we don't follow you the way we should, (laughs) is the way you say you love us, Mm -hmm. we're not buying it. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good your parents were. I don't care how good your life is. If this is really love of another kind, it's really hard to Mm -hmm. absorb. So that's part of the journey Mm -hmm. of do we believe that God is with us? Mm -hmm. Do we believe that God is good? And what does that bring to uncertainty? And then how do we go back to, if I'm not certain about what to do next, what's the essence? What are my values? Yeah. How do I get back to our values? And we can be certain around those yeah. and then move forward. Yeah. And anxiety, it's something a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. It's something that many of us have experienced or will experience or do experience in the midst of uncertainty. Our mutual friend, Steve Cuss, talks about it. Mm-hmm. He um, In his great book, Managing <laughs> Leadership Anxiety. Available today. Available today. Yeah, so low, low price. <laughs> yes. The, he said something when we all got to meet. He said, do you guys know what the opposite of anxiety mm-hmm. was? And I mean, I was thinking, well, it's... Certainty. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. just knowing what's... And he said, no, it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. And that just has reframed how I view moments when I'm faced with anxiety and I'm thinking, okay, instead, yes, the, the similarities, and, and he talks about it, the similarities with anxiety and curiosity is you don't know what the future holds. There's uncertainty in that. Yes, them. you don't know what's coming up, but you can approach it from, from an aspect of fear yeah. or faith. And curiosity is a way that we approach it going, hmm, I wonder what God's going to do here. Yes. Right. So I think for a minute, if we can hang out on that fear topic, mm-hmm. um, 
I, I just read this recently, nothing robs the mind more than fear. Mm. It robs mm. us of our ability to act mm -hmm. and reason. Yeah. It robs us of thought and action. It inhibits learning. So if you tie that together with why over 350 times in the Bible, fear not, and I yeah. would say it's not even a command, it's an invitation. Yeah. Why? Because fear gets in the way of everything. And mm -hmm. so I think the one of the leader's main jobs is to recognize that we're anxious. Leaders mm -hmm. do not like to think of ourselves mm -hmm. as anxious people. Mm -hmm. We are among the most anxious. Mm -hmm. And how do I apply the gospel to my anxiety? Mm -hmm. How do I admit it? And then how do I recognize I'm on a team of a bunch of anxious mm -hmm. people too. Mm -hmm. So how do we do the work mm -hmm. around what we're most afraid of, especially in uncertain yeah. times? I, I was thinking about that connection of uh, uh, anxiety and curiosity. The kind of classic studies in the world of psychology, particularly around attachment, um, were what involved what was called the stranger situation. Mm -hmm. So there would be a, mm -hmm. a parent, mom or dad, usually mom, and then an infant, toddler. Yes. Uh, and then the mom would go out of the room and then the mom would come back in. And when there is a uh, secure attachment between the child and the parent, what happens is the child will go to the mom for a few moments and uh, have that sense of reassurance. Things are OK, but then go explore the room. Yeah. So that's where when there's not the presence of anxiety, there is curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's not that the child sits in the mom's lap and is at peace. Yeah. If we are at peace and we're not living in fear, we have a bent towards curiosity. I think that's a reflection of exercise dominion. Yeah. Go out into the world yeah. and uh, study the fish and the mm -hmm. oceans and the creatures. And so you see there that sense that when there is a secure attachment, it expresses itself not with passive peace, but with yeah. explore, explorational curiosity. And wouldn't it be fascinating to talk about spiritual practices, not mm -hmm. disciplines or habits, <laughs> to talk about spiritual practices under the banner of building an attachment to God Yeah. instead of uh, the more robotic, sure. I have to do these things yeah. to be accepted by God. Yeah. No, it's really about being attached. Yeah, because we're not machines. Yeah, no. and I, I think about somebody who I was on staff with at a church many years ago, and uh, his dad died when he was eight years old. And his question to his mom was, are we going to be okay? Mm -hmm. And this was many years later, but you could tell in his life that question always lurked this far beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And there was an anxiety in that that was difficult for other people to be around. And so there was this constant need to try to manage situations, people, teams, because I need to feel okay yeah. and that somehow got interrupted at a real early age. Mm -hmm. I love Steve says that anxiety is when we what we experience when we don't get what we think we need. Mm. Not when, when we don't get what we need, when we don't get what we think, think we, we need. need. And so I will think I need approval or yeah. I will think I need applause yeah. or I think I need uh, power or I think I need these particular outcomes. And so when I'm not getting those things, for Saul, King Saul, mm -hmm. it was he thought he needed for the songs of the women to yeah. be Saul's the greatest, yeah. rather than Saul yeah. has slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. Saul wasn't getting what he thought he needed. And so he became deeply anxious and fearful and then tried to kill David. And so that came out in aggression. Um, Steve would also say, if you want to know if a leader is anxious, don't ask the leader, ask the leader's team. Yeah. yeah. And so Good. for folks who are listening to this right now, 
you know, to uh, ask the people on my team. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, do you? How do you? How do you detect anxiety? Yeah. Sorry. Well, and what's how you apply that is in leadership. We think about anxiety is this worry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I don't know what to do. No, in leadership, anxiety moves towards high control, mm-hmm. high certainty. Mm-hmm. Those are those yeah. are signs of anxiety as much as mm-hmm. uh, fretting. Yeah. It's not necessarily the sitting in the corner and like sucking my right, thumb because right. it's like, That's oh my God. Different form of yes. Yeah, because yeah. leaders are usually activists yes. right. and they may not be doing much contemplative reflection. So they may not even have the words to say, yes. I feel anxious. Yeah. Well, how, so how do you, so I, was, I, I read a Barna report where it says number one reason why pastors are leaving is because of the stress of yeah. what they do. Mm-hmm. Being a pastor, being a leader is not easy. It's you, you often carry burdens and you carry the burden of your people. How do you wrestle with that? Cause it's a calling. And the, the, the scripture that I struggle to understand is Jesus says, I'm the vine, we're mm-hmm. the branches. And I'm an activator kind of person. I like to just, Oh, we have a problem. Let's go. The first solution. That's a great solution. And let's just go after it. And. But Jesus says, if, if I'm the branch, then I cannot produce fruit on my own. Like it's not my actions or my work, but it's being connected to him. But being connected to him, full transparency does not feel like an action oriented thing. <laughs> it just feels like, Oh my goodness. I've got to go sit and do quiet time, you know, or whatever it is. And it's like, I know all of those things, but God give me something to do. How do you reconcile that tension in your mind? Or at least help me reconcile it in my mind. <laughs> Private therapy session yes, for yes, all this of This is us. for me, yes, guys. Sir. This yes. is for me. Yep. Well, you know, Matt Bloom's study on clergy flourishing is something that we're talking about intermittently through this. Uh, he says, for people that really flourish in church ministry, they're characterized, first of all, by what he calls daily well-being. Mm-hmm. That sense of give us this day our daily bread. I have this little sign in my office that Dallas Willard said to me many, many years ago. You must arrange your life so that you're experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. And you must do that. Um, Not your elders, not your staff. And you cannot leave it to how are the outcomes going. You must arrange your life that way. And so when I think about daily well-being... Uh, it's been a couple of years ago now. I had a really bad day and a really good day back to back. And I was reflecting the next morning after those two days, what was the difference? Mm-hmm. And the three words that were real vivid to me were, uh, on the good day, I was unhurried. On the bad day, I just felt this chronic sense of, I don't have enough Gosh. time. I'm rushed I'm, yeah. and inadequate and not able to be present. Um, freedom. Mm-hmm. On the bad day, I felt a constant sense of pressure uh, and then surrender. Uh, on that good day, I, I would often carry that kind of, okay, God, your will be done, your will be yeah. done. On the other day, it was, I want this, I got to have that, I yeah. demand this, I don't like what you're doing. Yeah. I, and so it helps me to keep those three words in mind. That kind of orients yeah. me to when I begin the day, if I can walk through this day unhurried, surrendered, and yeah. free, um, it's likely to contribute to daily well-being. Yeah. Just, I'm hearing you say those three words, I yeah, feel more relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you have three yeah. words? Not that I can think yeah. of off the top of my head. Yeah, her words are fun, fun, fun. Yeah. Till daddy takes <laughs> the tea. Right away. Away. I'll steal those three words. <laughs> yeah. There's a 
story in the Bible that people use to kind of, if, for those of us who are wired as like, let's go do stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. they, they use this like, you know, the Mary Martha situation mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like she's sitting there doing nothing. And nothing but <laughs> listening to nothing, Jesus. Yeah. You're just like, why aren't you like, there's work to do. The tension there is there are people in a church that have stuff like if the things are that need to be done are not done, it won't get done. Well, and don't you think in that story it was there's a time and a place. The yeah. time right now is to sit and listen. Yeah. Because later on Jesus sent the disciples off to go get things and yeah. bring it back. And there was a time for action yeah. too. But it seems like in that moment it's taking the dishes can wait. Well, and unfortunately, two thousand years later, we don't get from Fair that enough. story what was in it. <laughs> yes. The, the the phrase that's used to describe Mary is uh, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was a technical expression back then to describe someone who had become a disciple of somebody. When Paul is talking about his life in the book of Acts, yeah. he says, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Yes. That means I signed on as a grad student. So what's happening in that story is um, not that it's an endorsement of the contemplative life as sure. opposed to the activist life. It's one woman doing things that women stereotypically did, and then another woman who has actually become a disciple of a rabbi. Folks who write about this stuff yeah. say there was no record of a rabbi before Jesus having women disciples. So the language then in the first century would have been real clear to mm-hmm. anybody, Mary has chosen to become a disciple. Mm. And so in that moment, it involved learning. But in another moment, it would certainly involve serving in any number right, of ways yeah. and going out to preach and so on. So I think it's one of those things that 2,000 sure. years yeah. later, we yeah. learn. That's good. Uh, we, we, we don't see what would have grabbed anybody yeah. in the first century That's of the good. text. Yeah. Last question, I think. We are certain that we will have uncertainty. So how do we, in the image of Christ, how do we, like how Jesus led, how do we lead like he led? And how do we lead ourselves in that moment? What what should we be doing? What's what's a practical question we can ask ourselves to counter that? Well, I'll do one quick, but yeah. I'll be really eager to hear you on this because I think Me too. you read. Well, because <laughs> and so you guys are so different. Like that's the best are. part. It's like it's not yep. like it, 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 the Bible doesn't say or God's not saying you have to lead one particular way. No. He made us uniquely. Yeah to reflect him. Lots of different ways to lead. Yes. And so... Yeah. yeah. And because I'm more on the contemplative side, my thoughts will tend to come out in that sure. way. Yeah. So my first thought is um, be willing to sit alone quietly in the anxiety. Yeah. And I think most of us just push it away, push yes. it away, push it away. And uh, that's a form of blindness. And... Uh, one writer talks about negative emotions and anxiety is probably the chief, like this little dog mm-hmm. that just bugs the snot out of you and is whiny and snivelly and you keep wanting it to go yeah. away and you shoo it away and you push it away and you try ignoring it. And of course, it just follows you around. And then instead, if you just actually stop one day and embrace the dog mm-hmm. and notice give it, it a name. and pet it, give it a name. Give it a name. Uh, uh, my friend Rick has a client, and she actually named her anxiety Wil- Wilma, like the Flintstones. That's great. And, she, and when she starts to feel anxious now, instead of trying to make it go away, distract herself, she'll just say, welcome, Wilma. Acknowledge it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if I do that and sit with it for a moment and say, yep, right now, I can be aware of things I'm afraid of mm-hmm. and possible outcomes in the future that might be really hard. Um, 
And I can name that and say, yep, and I am trusting God will be with me. And I know in this moment, all I have to do is be with you and be with you. I cannot solve that. Um, when I just sit and say, yes, that's my fear. That's what I'm anxious about. Um, I'm able to be with it. Whereas if I'm constantly thinking, I don't want to think it, I yeah. don't want to feel it, I want to push it away, it that dog will follow me around all the time. Yeah. So give your anxiety a name and welcome it. Yeah, Wilma is in the house. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, two thoughts come to mind. I, I did some work with Pat Lencioni for about 11 years consulting. And when we would do offsites around building uh, organizations that were healthy and strategic, mm-hmm. uh, we would talk a lot about um, overworking. Mm. And a lot of times when I would sit down with the leader of the team or the CEO and we would talk about their schedules, it would often, the discussion would often lead to, I'll bet 25% of the hours you work are anxiety driven. Mm. That it's the, oh, if I just put in another hour on this, it'll make a difference. And sometimes yes, but a lot of times it's just a medication for anxiety Mm -hmm. overwork is. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I ask them that question, I have to ask myself that question. So taking a look at, am I um, working a contained amount of hours in the day that makes sense? Mm -hmm. And there'll be times when you have to do more, but how much of my overworking might be anxiety produced? Mm -hmm. And then for me, a lot of it comes back to nature. When I am out in Mm -hmm. nature, there is an irrefutable reminder that things have been going on for eons before me and will be going on eons after me that are beautiful and wonderful and I had nothing to do with them, mm. just nothing. Um, and then that, I, the study that came out around burnout that said the number one predictor of the avoidance of burnout is do you have a hobby that you practice on a regular mm-hmm. basis, mm-hmm. a weekly basis, mm-hmm. and when you do, you lose track of time. Yeah. So with the overwork, having to contain that, and then what can I lose track of time doing that's playful and not work-related. Yeah. It brings a good balance, equilibrium. Yeah. Equilibrium to me. Yeah, so a super practical question for folks would be, um, do you have an activity that when you engage yeah. in it, it makes you lose track of time? Yeah. And are you doing that for at least an hour a week? Because yeah. yep. that was kind of the, that yes. was the single biggest predictor yep. of people that can sustain in ministry and people that mm-hmm. don't. Yep. And at the bottom of all of this is the question of how are we connected to God in a way when everything else falls away, which yeah. is death, yeah. your family, yeah. your work, all of which are good things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you die alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am, am I connected to God? Mm-hmm. So how do I get there? Thank you so much, Nancy. I'm so glad that you're part of this conversation. We need the fun, fun, fun. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Rediscover Leadership, a series from Become New for Leaders. If you're here, you're asking great questions about what it means to lead while you follow Jesus. In case you didn't know, what you just heard is one of a seven-part series. Be sure to catch the rest. You can subscribe to receive all seven from becomenew.com slash leaders. You can also use the same link to get our free ebook on leadership and spiritual formation. Finally, if you want daily spiritual formation content from John Orberg, founder of Become New, you can subscribe at becomenew.com slash subscribe. We're so glad you're here and we're committed with you to becoming leaders who follow well and lead like Jesus did.